Well, we are back. It's the BAC podcast with me, Stuart Newman, joined as always by Neil and Ian Briggs. It's been a crazy few months, gentlemen, you know, with uh, with restrictions lifting. We've been busy at all manner of events around the world. And it's actually the first time we've all been in the UK for a podcast. So uh, welcome back, Ian. Yeah, nice to be here, actually. It's uh, it's amazing. I got into the rhythm of knowing where my microphones and where everything was. And now we're all together, but we have to be in separate rooms so we don't get feedback. And it's all it's all like new new land again. So but good to be here, that's for sure. Good. So this time around, it's the experience episode as we dive into some of the best mono driving stories from around the world and find out the experiences and indeed the cars that inspired the boys long before mono existed. So if we're all ready, let's get into it. I'm going to start this episode with a bit of a story of my own. Um, So when I first met Ian Briggs uh, way back in, must have been 2016, I said, hello, mate, nice to meet you. I really love your car. Uh, To which he responded, well, it's not really a car, but thanks, mate. And I remember (laughs) I sat there. I thought to myself, how could I possibly have got that wrong of all the things about the car to get wrong? So please, please, please do fill me in once again and tell me how Mono sort of redefines driving, I guess. Um. Yeah, um, it's Neil and I set out to de- to design um, a, let's call it a vehicle rather than a car um, that was that was about only about driving and it didn't fulfil the transport function. So forgive me after if I've said this before, but the car industry is going through a very disruptive phase. Obviously, the way most people use a car, including ourselves, most of the time, um, it's a, it has a pure transport function. Um, and if you imagine 10, 15 years in the future, they'll be autonomous. They may be battery powered. Um, we may not even own them. Um, that's that's what that, that's where transport's going. Um, and and the and the transport uh, uh, network has been disrupted in the past before. When 150 years ago, when the horse was transport and the car disrupted it and became. Uh, transport you know there was a time when buying a horse you'd be thinking about practical things at plowing a field and pulling a carriage and things like that well when the car replaced it as transport then the horse became um, a luxury sporting good uh, for people who want to go riding Um, and that's what Neil and I felt was missing in the same way you you know you you know you don't pick a shire horse that can do a bit of everything you'll pick one that's good for jumping or you'll pick one good at racing or cross country or whatever it is you want to do with it um, and we wanted a car that was as focused as that. Um, I said the word car again, didn't I? I, I, just feel, I just feel like it automatically puts everything into a box, which is not the box that Mono's not in. I mean, we firmly believe at BAC that in the future, there's going to be tra- cars as transport, which you might use in the same way you use a train or a plane today. You might not even own it. You just look on the schedule or you call it up. It arrives, you get in, it takes you to work, it takes you home. Um, but if you if you love driving in the same way people love skiing, in the same way people love parachuting and canoeing and all the other sports they do, then you're going to want a piece of equipment which is purposely designed for that and doesn't have any legacy of transport. And that's why I always try and think of it not as a car and use other words, but trip over myself sometimes as I just did. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, there's, there's, there's so many different things in terms of when you drive that are totally unique with mono and 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 the obvious one is the fact that uh you know you are you're sat in the middle of the car um and 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 the visibility actually that you have and the 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 vision uh that, that you have is completely you can almost see through 360 degrees if you look over your shoulders left and right there's there's no there's no a pillars or b pillars or rear view mirrors and actually when you get in a regular car it's surprising just how how, how many restrictions and, and and things there are in the way of your vision that's so that's the that's the first thing when you get in the car you feel like you're sat in something but you very much um have this connection with with the outside world and and of course, when you start moving, um, it's not normal um, that you would experience, you know, the the, the rush of the wind um, as 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 you would do in a regular car. So you're taken from an environment where, you know, you're you're very much insulated uh, to the experience first of all, uh, in many ways, um, and then from there, it, of course, it, there's the there's the connection of the of the man and the machine in terms of the the directness. 
the connection via the, the meter measure seat, the steering wheel of just how well connected you are to, to this machine. And, and it's only when you drive a, a regular car and you perhaps drive spiritedly down a country lane and you just realise how much you're sliding around in, in the seat, how much you're actually gripping the steering wheel to try and keep you in position, um, that, that, that you realise, you know, as Ian said, that, that there's this element of, of doing things properly and doing things, um, you know, specifically for the, the sport or the hobby of, of, of driving. And, um, you know, you don't wear ski boots that flop around on your feet, you know. You don't wear jackets that 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 you get freezing cold when you go when you go mountaineering or you go walking or you go go cycling or whatever. Everything has to have a purpose, and um, you know it starts by having the right connection to the vehicle, and then from there, obviously, it's, it's it, there's everything to do with how the car steers, how it brakes, how it turns at the corners, um, how it transitions. You know, when you're going into a corner, off the brakes towards the apex when you get on the throttle off the throttle all these different things then then become quite simple in terms of of, of a target because everything is just a logical progression from that from that that purest connection that you you have as a as a driver in a machine so that you know have the experience in mind and of course the future in mind what do you think are we going to see more cars like mono from other manufacturers like is that going to be the if that's going to be the future of transport it's going to be the future of driving as a sport is Mono going to be sort of one of many cars that are like it? I, I, I would say yes. I, 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 you know, not to be too immodest, but uh, I think we're leading the charge in that direction. You, you start to see it now. Some co- companies have are dipping their, their toe into the water of of track only cars. Um, in my opinion, they still have a legacy of transport because they're based on their on their road car um, kind of counterpart. Um, but I do think that that's that, that that's going to happen. I think, I mean, it, let, let, if you just take the extremes, what what would everyone do if they could afford it and they were wealthy enough? You know, they'd sit in a nice Rolls Royce with a chauffeur and he'd take them to work in the morning, or he'd pick them up from the restaurant once they've had a drink or something. You know, an autonomous self-driving car can do that for you. So companies like Mercedes and, and Audi, BMW, all these types of Rolls Royce, of course. You know, it's clear where they can fit into that world. You're also going to have people who just want to inexpensively get to work. You know, they've got just do the normal life. So, you know, they, they could jump in a little smart car that arrives outside. You jump in, it takes you to it. You can very clearly see where certain manufacturers and certain brands will fit into that world. But but the challenge is for companies like Porsche and Ferrari, where do they, how do they fit into that world, really? Um, they... Everyone wants to drive the Ferrari. No one wants to be chauffeur driven in a Ferrari. So where does a self-driving Ferrari fit in? And if it's if it's just about driving, then why do you need place for golf clubs and passengers and all the other things? Um, so that so those companies do have a challenge, but I think they will uh, I think they will answer that challenge and probably I think what's going to happen is the industry is going to very much diverge and be two very much extremes, very much just transport, very much just uh, driving as a sport, and I think I think they'll all adapt and and you will see m- way more of the type of car that Mono is, whether it's a single seat, whether you sit in the middle, how they solve those problems. That, you know, it's an exciting time, but uh, I do think you will, yes. Yeah, and, I, and I, I'd, I'd I'd agree with that um, completely. And actually, if you look at already in recent times, obviously uh, Ferrari have launched uh, cars like the Monza um, and things like that, where there's a, there's a single seat version and, and a two seat version. Uh, McLaren with the Elva, of course, um, and these are cars that are completely exposed, uh, no windows, no doors, um, you know, and it, it, they're trying to to make that um, that purest driver and, and, and machine connection um somewhat clumsily in, in 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 my opinion because fundamentally they've started off with a what was a, a, a two-seat gt supercar and they've tried to, to develop something that is is ultimately compromised so you end up with with dare i say you know um none of the benefits so you've you've, you've ended up with a a, a 1600 1800 kilo uh, two-seat car um, so you haven't got the, the effects of the lightweight or the central driving position or anything else that that allows you as a vehicle architecture and at the same time you've got the the, the slightly negative connotations of being exposed to all the to all the elements um, but 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 you know interestingly as Ian says 
um, these are manufacturers that are are dipping their toe in the water of this more and more and more and more extreme vehicle that is that is leaning more towards just enjoying the driving experience. And of course, you've got cars like the Senna and then the Senna GTR, which isn't even road legal, um, you know, which are which are monst- monstrous cars in terms of performance. And then it goes even further than that, you know, with your with some of the the latest offerings from Bugatti, which are going to be track only. Um, and then that starts to bring bring us into a um, you know, it's not just about the man and the machine and the driving experience. It's actually about the community. So if I'm going to buy one of these cars, whatever it may be, and Ferrari started with the FXX program many, many years ago, again, by buying purist race cars that, that you can't drive on the road. You don't even take delivery of the cars, in fact, uh, in that particular program. Um, so, you know, people want to be with like-minded individuals who share the same passions, Um you know, they're, 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 they're on a certain level in society. Um, and, and that's where the whole whole element of community comes in, um, of people who share the same the same ideals. And of course, that, that's existed for many years with, with lots of different ownership clubs, whether it's the, you know, classic sports car club of, of, of MGs and Morgans or, or something at one end and, and, and Ferraris and McLarens and Porsches at, at the other end. But I think what's what's starting to evolve now, you know, Lamborghini have just have just launched their new extreme ownership program Ferrari have had theirs for many years McLaren have the pure McLaren um, system and of course we have the, the the mono owners club and I think where it's going to go is is that people will be will be part will be part of these clubs as they evolve because that will be their golf club that will be their social club that will be their club that they where they go and ultimately you know they're, they're mixing with their friends their mates they're making new new friendships uh, new experiences, you know, and, and and making new memories, and that that's what it's that's what it's all about. And for us, um, you know, the car ticks that box because it works brilliantly on the road, it works brilliantly on the track, and it provides, you know, a, a, a very very unique experience on on both the road and the track. You don't have to be pulling 2G under braking or setting you know new lap records as such. Um, you can really just enjoy the car almost as an adventure from 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 a to b um whenever you're driving the car and particularly when you're part of the club i think it's worth but worth pointing out there as well though it, you know i, I know it, it, in some discussions with people you know they, they, they're saying you know i'd, I'd like if, if my mate gets one I'd, I'd love to get one as well you know it's a little bit the way I used to think when I had a motorcycle. If you're the only person amongst your circle of friends with a motorcycle, then you do just end up going on a ride on your own, which isn't great. Um, so you want your mates to have motorcycles as well. But of course, all your mates don't have to have mono, so you can go and drive. Um, you know, when when I used to go up to Nurburgring in my in my Lotus, I had friends of Porsches and Ferraris and all kinds of things, and we'd all just head up there, all each of us in our own car with our overnight bag on the passenger seat. Um, so the whole idea starts thinking, I think I don't need all this space. I don't, 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 it's just a waste and it's compromising the car. But just, just to make that point that if you're a mono owner, yes, you, ultimately, you know, driving with 10 or 15 other monos through the Alps is, is the ultimate dream. But if your friend's got a Porsche and your other friend's got a Lamborghini, you can still go for a drive. You can still go for a blast across the moors on a Sunday morning and meet for a coffee, coffee and chat. You can still have that social time. People think that in a way, it's almost lonely driving mono. Well, it, it isn't. And it's no, no more lonely than skiing. You know, you sit on the lift, you go up, you're chatting with people, you meet them in the cafe, you're having a chat. But when you put your goggles on and you push off, that, that, that that's when you're doing your sport. And that's when you want to concentrate anyway. And I think it was Ollie. I can't remember the phrase he used. What was the phrase Ollie used? Um, Automotive therapy. Yeah. And, and, and this, this sense of being isolated a little bit in the moment when you're driving, when you don't want SMSs and WhatsApp messages and all the rest of it. Um, to, to have that moment of concentration to yourself, but everything that led up to it and everything that comes after it is a is a social experience. So you can do it with 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 other vehicle owners as, as well as mono owners, as many of our owners do. I mean, um, you know, you've got communities like Supercar Driver. Uh, we've got several owners who are who are part of that community, and 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 they'll you know they'll be sharing drives across the moors or wherever with um with people with all the different cars that ian ian mentioned and uh i think i think the other thing as well is is that it's it's a bit like anything in life it, you, you make your own decisions you know some people like being on their own 
Some people like playing golf on their own. Um, some people like skiing and snowboarding on their own. Some people prefer skiing to snowboarding. So it doesn't matter that whether you've got a mono or a Porsche or a mono or a Ferrari or whatever. Um, it's 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 people who like to to spend time, um, you know, d- doing what they do and doing what they enjoy. That's the the most important thing. Okay, we're going to run something just a little bit different now, as I'm going to put you very much Uh-oh. on the spot, which is my job, of course. So mono is obviously shaped to provide the best driving experience possible. But what I want you guys to do is pick, okay, let's say the three best attributes from three different cars, past or present, to make your dream car. So it could be the engine, it could be the gearbox, it could be the design, if you like, Ian. Whatever you think enhances the experience for a dream collective. Go. Crikey. <laughs> well, I don't know where to start. Um, I'll start with a mundane one. I, we always like the positioning of our pedals in our Lotus Elises and the pedals spacing in a VAC mono me- measure the same. Um, the position of the brake in relation to the throttle pedal and the clutch are, are the same. Um, it may, it, you know, at some point you have to put, you know, put pen to paper and that, that seemed to make sense. I do think, um, um, being a relatively modest car, but the Lotus Elise, I think, was great. It didn't have any servo-assisted brakes and it didn't have servo-assisted steering. And I think Neil had also agreed they both had, certainly the early ones, uh, had the ceramic brakes. Um, the pedal effort, the throttle pedal effort, the steering, just the balance of control um, was was great on that car. You know, you could get in it and you, within within a couple of minutes you drove it like you'd owned it for a long time, you know, certain cars, you'll, you'll be changing gear a bit jerky or you, when you turn, you turn, you get more than you expected or you you, you don't get as, as much as you expected. I think that one of the th- great things Lotus did on the Elise was they got the f- controls all nicely balanced um, and it just worked really well. Um, that sounded yeah, like we, more we, than one attribute there, I don't know, but <laughs> just pedals, controls, et cetera. Balance. Almost almost like accessibility almost in many ways. I mean, we, 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 we talk about uh, about all the various different attributes on the car, many of which Gene mentioned there, being being in harmony. So, and, and I think that car was, was, was a perfect example of how it looked, its performance, and and how it and and how it drove in terms of its steering and its and its uh, its response uh, and how all the pedal efforts were matched to the level of steering response and steering effort and so on. So I think it was very much um, a landmark car in that sense. I think for me to change um, to change tack slightly, uh, and if we could have the the engine noise of this particular car that I'm going to mention. Um, then that would that would that would make mono even better, um, and that was um, I had the pleasure of driving around the Hungara ring uh, a 458 Speciali Ferrari, uh, revving to to, to nine and a half thousand RPM. Um, the emotion from that that V8 engine um, just incredible. Uh, so for me, um, you know, and I, I know where the rest of the world is heading with regards to uh, to electrification and so on and so forth. But I think, uh, you know, the, the, the sound of, of, of that V8 is, is absolutely iconic. So for me, I would definitely have uh, an engine that makes something like that particular noise. Of course, if you're talking engine notes, there's there's other race cars of, 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 of note, you know, certain Group C Jaguars and uh, and of course the, the, the famous um, Mazda um, that Johnny Herbert won in uh, at Le Mans with the with with the uh, with the Wankel engine and, and how that sounded. So certainly a powertrain noise from 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 one of those three cars for me would would definitely be in 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 the dream car. I definitely agree with Neil on the. Well, I agree with them all actually, but I definitely agree with the with the Wankel motor. If there was a, if there was a modern way of uh, of doing that, that the, the way that screamed that engine. Um, there was a concept car actually done by Mazda called the Furai which used the same three-rotor Wankel motor and there's some great online videos. Unfortunately, it burned during a Top Gear filming that car. It's only one in the world and it doesn't exist anymore. But um, if you watch the videos of the, just put Furai sound, F-U-R-A-I, the sound's incredible. So I agree with that. Um, It's funny, whenever I think, when I imagined Mono, um, I always imagined being in it and I put a huge... um, a huge emphasis on how I feel when I'm in it. I, I, I'm just over six foot, but I've actually got 
for my height, I've got slightly taller body and slightly shorter legs. I tend to sit too high in cars. Very often I get in a car and I feel like I'm sitting on it. Um, and to be able to to be able to get into a car uh, and feel like you're down in it was is important to me. And that's another thing from 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 the Lotus, the, the high sides um, and the narrow glass. Um, I mean, there's, there's there's legal limitations about how high the side can be. I mean, for visibility and things, but mono's on the limit as you would expect. But that sense of being in a car and and how it holds you, how it fits you, and all the rest of it. And so there's there's not many cars that that, that, that encompass you as in the same way a single seater can. So there's nothing that really gave me that exact same feeling. But it was a feeling I always craved. You know, the closer everything is, the more you know. People talk about fighter cockpit, and you know they'll wrap the dash around the driver so the gear leaves a bit closer and things like that but they're all just kind of kind of trying to get towards that feeling but there's no other way than sit in the middle and get the cockpit sides up get the steering wheel up level with your nose and just sit down in it and just be completely in control sorry we got a little bit off the subject there but it is attributes no, in a way because how it makes you feel it's it's how the steering responds how the brakes respond you know press you know just for your benefit you imagine if you had to press the brake the, the accelerator pedal really hard to make the car accelerate but you just tap the brakes and you you know it's like locking the wheels that be an extreme version of things that aren't in harmony so i know neil puts a lot of emphasis on that and, and i do too and that was why I, I i jumped straight to pedals engine of course steering um have you got a lotus elise by any i know you had you used to have one have you we used to we both we both had them we had 97 we both had two identical titanium elises in fact the only difference was i think on the silver cars, they did dark logos, and on the darker cars, they did silver logos. And I think there was a little bit of discrepancy about what colour logo you put on a titanium car, because it's right in the middle tonally. And I think they just because they knew they were going to two brothers. Um, Neil got silver logos, and I got dark grey logos on our titanium cars. Otherwise, they were identical. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, in terms of just to, to, to finish off, then in terms of um, attributes, obviously I mentioned the engine. Um, I think in terms of power delivery um, and how 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 an engine would, you know, deliver its power. Um, I mean, I drive I drive an i8 on a on a daily basis, and the combination of of how the in sport mode how the electric motors work with the with the engine. Um, there's just this relentless torque um, and in, from instantaneous torque from 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 when you pull away all the way through the rev range and i think certainly as as we move towards certainly electric motors um and as the world moves towards that that's the that's the appeal of the instantaneous torque i guess obviously there's no emotion there with the sound and that's why i think certainly the hybrid um solution has been favored by people like mclaren and 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 others because you you do get that instantaneous accessibility of of of, of performance and it is relentless in many cases. These cars are also turbocharged as well. So um, I think for me, actually using a using a hybrid system in a slightly clever way would be something that would be more of an ultimate for me. So at the moment, the way a hybrid system is utilised is they use the electric motor in the area where the internal combustion engine is 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 particularly inefficient and dirty actually which is chiefly to pull away and up to a certain a certain speed the electric motors are working and then and then it's and then it's engine um or purely engine rather uh, for me i think that the, there's an opportunity there to use almost the uh, the electric motor as almost like a push to pass uh system so you'd have you'd have it as it currently is but you'd also then utilize it with this push to pass um, um almost like a fan boost almost if you like um to use the electric motor where you could where you could have another you know 10 15 20 seconds if you were you know on track or wherever and you wanted that ad additional power um to somehow try and try and link that in so that's something that no one's doing at the moment but that would that would certainly be something that i would i'd gravitate towards moving forward it's funny actually when you talk about the way power power is delivered um I've I've always liked little lightweight cars and I've I've never owned a V8 car. I know Neil has a few. Um I've always liked small engines. Uh I loved the way um when I raced go-karts, as Neil did, the way a two-stroke single speed go-kart accelerates, it it you know, it 
it pushes that the more it revs the harder it pushes you and i love that feeling um and just to plug mono r i mean that's what i love about mono r over the mono w just the harder it revs the harder it pushes you it's the sense of i'm on the back of this wild animal that's how the go-kart felt. you come out of a hairpin they might feel a little bit bogged down and, and it just goes more and more and more and the more it revs the more and more and the quicker it revs and it just feels like wow this is this runaway thing you know and that that that's the, an attribute in a motor i'd like um the, the opposite of that is, you know, a modern turbo diesel, which just seems like it gives you everything and then it just wanes away. Um, it kind of makes promises it doesn't really keep as the revs rise, you know. Um, for people wondering what Mono W is, that's our internal designation <laughs> for the uh, Sorry. original Mono, let's call it. Yeah. Yeah, very good. So some, some amazing cars, some amazing attributes, Ferraris, BMWs, or just for E and the Lotus Elise, basically. So that's very good. <laughs> With a two-stroke engine. No, actually, <laughs> I'll take I'll take that um, I'll take a little two-liter V8 or a, or a rotary engine. It is now time for our special guest of episode five, and someone who knows a little something about mono ownership. It's the chairman of the Mono Owners Club himself, Mr. Alex Nauk. All right, hi everyone. Alex, Hello, how's mate. it going? Hey Alex, not too bad. How are you? Very, very good. It's a pleasure having you on, mate. The uh, the chairman of the Mono Owners Club himself. So, obviously today we're talking about mono ownership and how people use their cars. And I believe that you are actually the highest mileage mono owner, which I, I think, I hope, uh, if my research is correct, and sometimes it isn't. Um, what does being a mono owner actually mean to you? Well, running to the mileage, I, I'm still battling a little bit and uh, arguing with Ollie Webb a little bit. So he still argues that he <laughs> has the most mileage. But uh, I don't know how, how many times the, the mileage has been turned back on the ESO car. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's got the more he's got you've definitely got more road miles than him. He might have yeah. more track miles than you, but you've definitely got Probably. more road miles. No question. Probably, yeah. Uh, yeah. So what does it mean? Uh, well, I, I, I have to explain a little bit more from my side. I come from motorbike riding. So um, I met Ian actually at a, at a track day when we both had our MV Augustas. So I was I was always into motorbike. My first my first drivable thing was a, was a, was a scooter, and then I went to a motorbike history and racing and track days and everything. And uh, then one day he told me he's gonna he's gonna build a car, and I was like, yeah, okay, build a car. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, when I first drove it, I mean it was uh, yeah freezing cold in November some some time in England, and I thought, wow, that's that's probably the closest thing you can get on a, on four wheels to 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 a motorbike. So the, the the power, the 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 lightness, the agility, and everything. So yeah, that's that's basically what it what it was for me in the in the beginning, and now that I've driven so many miles, it still is. It is um, it is yeah, driving a motorbike on four wheels, <laughs> and having the advantage of a car, and the advantage of a motorbike just put them both together and and, and enjoy it. Yeah. So what do you use your car primarily for? Because we have a lot of owners who do different things, but I think you go to the extreme on uh, in every case really. Yeah, well, I'm 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 using it basically 90% on the road to be honest. That's why I've all, all I've put some pictures on the on the on the wall here. It's it's uh, from it's uh, some proof prints from one of our books that we do for every every track day or every every tour that we do. Everyone gets a book, and these are pictures from our Black Forest tour. And it's always a thing. People say, well. How, when I'm going to use this car, it's only for one person. You can't take anyone with you. Uh, is it only for the track? And so and I said, listen, guys, now I'm driving this car for over 30,000 kilometers now, and 90% is on the road. I'm going, you know, I'm going on small tours on the weekends or even for a week. I, I mean, if you're, when you come from a motorbike, you're a little bit more, um, how do you say, used to minimalism. So you just take uh, uh, less less stuff with you, and you can you can easily go on a on a week week uh, holiday trip with the car. So uh, yeah, I, I use it mostly on the road, and then when, if you've got buddies coming with you, that's it's it's basically like like doing a motorbike tour. I, I, I just got to interject because just that we don't forget is is that is that, that very first experience it was pouring with rain so. Yeah, to, to the car's credit, it still managed to 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 make him want one, despite was having to stop in the middle of the test drive and take him into a cafe to get his fingers warm again. <laughs> um, yeah, because I only I only had the the little gloves, my racing gloves from a motorbike, yeah. thin. <laughs> but I remember um, when he picked up his car. I've, uh, I was looking at the pictures of the David outside the factory here. Um, and the idea was, uh, I suggested, why don't you just do a couple of days around North Wales, 
we'll get your first service out of the way and then you can take it over to Germany. You're just not bringing it back at 500 miles, you know, for, for a service. So Alex thought that was a good idea. It meant he could pick his car up from the factory and everything. And the first day he went out on his own. Um, phone ended up going flat, so he was lost. Ended up getting people to plug his phone in at a gas station and um, trying to find out where he was. And obviously all the signs are in are in Welsh. So he said to me after he said, it all just looked like Cindy Crawford to me. It's all just like old consonants, you know, all one after the other. Uh, he didn't know where the hell he was. Anyway, so the next day I said, I'll come with you. So we went out. We went up to Horseshoe Pass and we went, there's, there's some roads, it's quite famous amongst the motorcyclists out there. And I was in um, ESO 1 and he was in his own car following me. We went through the first few corners and, and I know he can drive quick. I mean, I've driven, he's driven, he's, I've driven uh, around Nordschleifer, you know, me and my Lotus, him and his Porsche. He's a quick driver, he can, he can drive. Um, and I looked in my mirror after two or three corners, he's nowhere to be seen. So at the end of this section, I pulled over, I jumped out, went back to him, he said, do I think you can go through them? I'm like, well, I did, mate. Listen, we're nowhere near the limit. Listen, just trust me. Just stay three, four car lengths behind me and just, just follow me. So we turn around. Off we go the other way. And he did. Give him his due. He stuck with me three or four car lengths behind. I got out. I went back to him. He opened his visor. He's going, I never thought I could do that. <laughs> and I never forget it. It's got sure. goosebumps now when I think about it. Amazing. Alex, so obviously you've done some incredible journeys in mono around the world. I'm actually going to open this question up to you, uh, Neil and Ian, as well. So, but what is your most epic or, you know, most incredible driving experience that you've had uh, behind the wheel of your car? <laughs> well, there, there are definitely a lot of them. Um, top, a, top, a top three is fine. Go on. <laughs> Well, the, one is combined with one trip we did. Uh, we went on a on a on an Alpine trip where there was a gathering of of many super sport cars, and and uh, it was a hell of a trip to get there. Uh, we started in Stuttgart and we ended up in in the Dolomites at uh, Saisalm, which is a very very famous place in 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 Italy. And uh, we did a two two three day tour. I think a two day tour there. And in the evening there was like a gathering of all the guys with every cars and then they had a big party and then they gave like trophies away and as well as you know one got Farmer's Journey the next one got the most expensive car the next one I don't know whatever and then the, and then now finally uh, the last prize for spirit of the event goes to Alex now because I was the only one who was driving in a car without a roof with no helmet <laughs> just sunglasses on and uh, that kind of gave me gave me the the spirit of the spirit of the event. And uh, the second, probably most memorable thing is the the drove the drive back from that event because we had to we had to go uh, from Italy back to Stuttgart in in one leg, and I think at the Austrian border, um, yeah, it started to rain and not like not like it's, it was summer, but it was a summer, you know, thunderstorm, just water on the road, just like this in the high. Bible, like in the yes, Bible, yes, like <laughs> like the Bible. And, and amazingly, I mean, we did the last leg. We did it on 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 the on the highway on the on the German Autobahn. And uh, the car being very light, it means that the, <laughs> if water is that high on the Autobahn, there's a certain there's a certain limit to 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 what you want to do and what how how quick you want to go. And then Ian was behind with with the Porsche. I was in front of uh, I was in front, and 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 the buses keep passing me, and water was splashing around me. But you can you can survive a trip like that even even with a car with no roof on. So so that was probably one of the most extreme drive I ever had. I took a picture of him when he got back, and the only part of his whole body that was dry there was some creases in the back of his jeans, and when he stood up there was just some dry lines. But he said he was he was singing in the car, and he was I mean that was super extreme. It was all day long, um, biblical rain. Um, but it was it was an adventure. But it actually. It was the other Porsche that kept our speed down. It was the it was the other Cayman that was aquaplaning, and he got on the exactly. phone and said, "Slow down, guys." <laughs> um, so to be fair, yeah. no. But the the other thing, I mean, what what's always nice is uh, when you're when you're on your on the road. What what the, I mean, me coming from motorbike driving is uh, what what I enjoy is when you when you pass bikes, they always greet you. 
that never happens in a car usually. Motorbike drivers reach each other on, on, on the road, but when you drive past a, past a motorbike in a car, they, they never usually react. But in this car, it's like you drive up a, a mountain pass, the first guys that come up to you are motorbike riders because they get it. You know, they see that thing, it's light, it's, 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 it's pure, it's mechanical. They see all the stuff and then you're like, wow, what's that? You're like, hey, cool, thumbs up and everything. So that's a, that's a joyful experience coming from riding on two wheels and then seeing these guys saying, hey, cool. Yeah, I've got a nice, nice product there. It's interesting to what we were talking about earlier. You weren't with us, Alex, but we're talking about the, the split in the, in the, in the industry of going to purely transport, which might be autonomous, self-driving, electric, whatever, and then you know cars for the sport of driving. Well, that's already happened in, in, in motorbikes, really. There's nothing strange about a one-seat motorbike that guys just take out and go you know, into the Black Forest or, or take it to a track day. Nothing unusual about that at all. No one looks at the latest Ducati and says, where do you put your luggage? You know, it's, it, People don't ask those questions because People know that people ride bikes just for the sake of riding a bike because they love to control it and they love that feeling of moving through the world. Um, and, and that's something that, that, that that's why I think motorcyclists, it does appeal to them. And I think um, certainly in our test drive experience, motorcyclists get very comfortable very quickly. Um, they're used to the gearbox. They're used to the, the wind. They're used to wearing a helmet. Uh, not that you have to. I mean, that's uh, Alex is also quite extreme in that respect. I mean, um, I'll wear sunglasses up to legal speeds um, and accept the fact that if I get a bumblebee in my in my in my cheek, it'll sting. But um, but I, you know, Alex has done crazy speeds, um, especially on that past masters trip. Um, and then he looks like Sterling Moss at the end of the day because he's been you know he's been not for very long, but he's been following other supercars and you just he's just hit with a black face and just white white eyes. But um, we, 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 you know, I remember on that trip, we were, we were, you know, Alex would just leapfrog cars and, and I was following him in, in, um, in, in his Porsche. There's just no chance. There's no chance I could follow him. So I'd see him for the first 15, 20 minutes of a drive and then he'd just come, come out of hairpins. He just leapfrogs him. There was 100, 120 cars on Passmasters. Yeah, probably. And after 15, 20 minutes, I've just, I've, I've lost touch. So I'll, I'll catch up with him again at the next, the next cafe or the next gas station. Um, it really is has got a lot in common with with a motorcycle. And you two, your favourite driving experiences then? Yeah, well, I, I've 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 um, I've probably got three. Um, and the first one was um, was Gumball actually back in uh, back in 2014, I think it was. Um, so we were invited by Max and the team to uh, to go and do the whole event and. Uh, we kind of scratched our heads and thought, how, how are we actually going to make this possible? And the start was over in Ireland. They went up to Scotland. They went down to London. And then they went across and uh, went via many cities in Europe, uh, Budapest, and, and ended up in Bucharest. Um, so we thought, right, how can we kind of, uh, you know, be part of the rally, but but do it do it so, so it's feasible? Because obviously there's a lot of time invested as well. So we 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 um, Ollie Webb uh, uh, um, uh, drove uh, the van and trailer and took the car over to Ireland on the ferry. Uh, we flew over uh, in a friend's light aircraft uh, and we did a big demonstration right on the start line in front of all the cameras, in front of all the people and their you know uh, their expensive cars. And um, we just felt like heroes. I mean, certainly Ollie Webb did, and and, and I was stood there watching him. Uh, praying that he wouldn't hit anything, and, and thankfully he didn't. But he was basically doing like a Jim Carner style start of start of the event. Anyway, the, the car started. They headed off to, to Scotland, and we kind of worked out that we could get the ferry back, and we could then leapfrog them and arrive in arrive in London. And we got invited to to do the parade down Oxford Street. And again, um, I don't quite know how he ends up driving the car all the time in these great <laughs> great great places, and we're kind of stood waving at him from the side but yeah ollie drove down the the main high street i think it's oxford street or, or bond street i think it is and just lined with thousands and thousands and thousands of people and i wasn't even driving the car yet i was i was so so excited um eventually i did get to drive the car when we made it to, to budapest uh, one of our owners was there and there was a there was a big evening there and uh, and also a track day um at, at, at the budapest circuit and uh, I had the pleasure of driving driving our car um, around the track. Never driven the track before. Um, no practice, just straight into it. It was wet. 
uh, and the organizer said, "Go on, you know, Neil, you go out in the car first and and, and see how see if the track is okay for for the regular people to go out there." So I did, and then one of our customers uh, he joined us in his car, and then slowly but surely these people started to venture out, and then in the end, everyone was out on on track, and it was just great because everyone was enjoying their cars, irrespective of whether it was a you know a Lamborghini or a Porsche, Ferrari, or Rolls Royce, or you know whatever it was. And there we we were, and I have to say. Um, you know, when we parked the cars up in the centre of, 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 of Budapest, the reception uh, around around the car, I mean, it, it never ceases to amaze me. And we, we say that it's always the centre of attention with the central driving position, but it, it is. And per Alex's point, I think, um, you know, spectators or, or, or onlookers have, have preconceived ideas about a certain type of individual who drives a certain type of car, whether that's a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or a Porsche. And there are certain certain personality traits of, of people who drive certain cars, of course. And there's no preconceived ideas of, 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 of who you are, whether you're rich, whether you're famous, whether, you know, uh, you know, whether you're flamboyant or not, if you drive a mono. I think there's this instantaneous respect when they see the car. And the first question they want to know is, is, is what is it? And back in 2014, the car was nowhere near as, as famous as it is now. So that's that's not the usual question now. When, when you get out the car, it's, you know, how fast is it? You know, um, you know, how much fun is it to drive? You know, et cetera. And people just want to know about the car. So, so that was that was a brilliant trip. We actually ended up driving all the way to Bucharest to um, to uh, for the for the for the finish of the event. So that was a real adventure, a lot of driving, a lot of fun um and and uh some great enjoyment on both the road and the track um i think my other um memorable event was the black forest tour which we did in amongst um lockdowns and not lockdowns and which we managed to shoehorn an event in and it was my first event actually that had, that i'd been on um just because of timings and, and schedules I'd, I'd never attended one of these uh one of the club events and um yeah, it was it was just memorable in so many respects. I mean, um, one of the best times was 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 driving over the top of a ski resort at two thousand feet plus, whatever it was, meters maybe higher. Um, there was eight or ten monos, and there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people watching us, and we were doing like twenty miles an hour. Um, we'd just driven up the side of this this mountain. Great, uh, great roads. We were driving spiritedly but safely, uh, just enjoying the roads, um, and it was it was just great, you know, me- meeting owners that you'd you'd seen as a name on their car when it was in build, meeting some of these people for the first time, seeing these owners getting together for the first time who are now, you know, now form friendships. That was great. Um, so looking forward to to next year's uh, uh, events being announced. That's going to be that's going to be really cool. And then I think finally for me. Um, is uh, I can't not mention the Isle of Man, which um, which we've done several times now as almost like our home event. So we catch the ferry from from here in Liverpool, or we start here at the factory, catch the ferry from here in Liverpool, uh, down there on the waterfront, um, straight over to the Isle of Man. And um, you know, it's if ever anywhere was made for to enjoy mono, it's it, it's the Isle of Man with obviously de-restricted roads, um, a mixture of. Um, Obviously, there's the Alaman TT course, which again is public road, uh, de-restricted in many areas. And then there's also um, uh, a track which we also enjoy, which is its own self-contained track up at Jervy. So I think, think for me, between Gumball, the Black Forest Tour, and and, and the Alaman Tour, they're probably three of my major highlights. I've had so long now. I've got a massive list here. Don't worry, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I won't bore you all to. But it's amazing all the stuff you forget, and then Neil will mention it, and you remember. Um, yeah, ch- chasing the Mono Owners Club. Um, I, I'm not sure which one it was. Um, and I was in the chase car with everyone's luggage and stuff. So I'm at the back, um, and coming down. I wasn't even in a mono, but coming down a hill, and you can hear them all, you know, popping and banging as they're going into the hairpin. And then they've gone around a hairpin, and they're accelerating up the other side of the valley. And I can hear the the first ones are already accelerating hard, and the ones in front are breaking. And it was uh, it's just 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 great to see them all, you know. 12 13 little insects all like chasing each other through the through the through the forest um i gotta say my very very first time it wasn't the actual very first time i think i mentioned it before i've drove mono for the first time in in the night in a car park 
Uh, but the time I properly actually drove it was around um, uh, Warsaw uh, at the Verva Street Race. Um, and just briefly, it was it started raining um, and I was in a parade and everyone was going very quick in this parade. They're all very comfortable with their car. This is the first time I've driven mono, really, apart from around a car park. Um, but it, but it, you know, he's crossing six lanes of highway at big junctions that have all been turned into a big long sweeping, you know, corner, and you're crossing, you know, the the concrete that the where the bus stops to the tarmac, and then the road markings and the you know the ridges where where the where the trucks have put like indentations into the into the road, and it was and it was wet, but it was just the, the car was just talking to you the whole time. And I remember when I came in and Neil said, "Oh, you were going quite quick there." And I said, "Just because Neil had not driven it at this point, I said, wait till you drive it. It just, it just talks to you, you know, and you you feel that little slight understeers transition into a, ever so slight. You can wind the lock off and you just short shift into the next gear and it and it pops back to a mild understeer. It was just great. So that was a great moment. There was there was another time. It was really early before we'd even moved to Liverpool. Uh, we showed the car at Solitude Revival in, in Germany. Um, and at the time, I was traveling Monday to Friday every week. Um, and I'd come back late on the Friday night. I'd slept most of Saturday, as usual. Uh, one of our staff, Reiner, had taken the car to show it on the Saturday. And I was on duty on the Sunday. So I feel a bit sorry for myself because I'm up at four in the morning on the next Monday to go back to work. You know, I'm like, I've, you know. but anyway, I, I went there and I, and I did my bit. And to drive the car back to, to where it was being collected and I just drove it and I, it was the first time I'd driven without a helmet um, and I didn't go quick or anything I was tired I was exhausted I just drove it out through the forest away from the event and back to where I live um, and I was doing 30 40 mile an hour but just hearing the, the birds hearing feeling the wind in my face again it was the first time without a helmet so I'd never done that I'd, I'd, I'd driven motorcycles it was always with a helmet I'd never got traveled at that speed um, without having a helmet on and it was just and I remember thinking as I went around the corner, I was changing up and down the gears. And I just thought that, that this is why you do it. It was it was a really difficult time for Neil and I. Um, we were trying to transition to a new factory. We were working our hearts out, um, and we didn't have anywhere near enough staff. And uh, I had been feeling a bit sorry for myself, but it was it just reminded me why why we were doing it. It was a great a great great moment. Um, but by far the the most um, the most memorable is the Atlantic road trip. Uh, happens every year um, through Norway, Scandinavia. Um, and long story short, it was about 60, 70 cars a year I did it. We started in Copenhagen, uh, crossed across into Norway, went up the Norwegian coast, did the Atlantic Road um, over the top and back down all the whole full length of Sweden to Stockholm in uh, four days. Um, it was uh, it was it was it was like endurance racing. It's something you'd you'd go and do again, but while you're doing it, you're thinking, why am I doing this? You know, because we start at eight in the morning and we're just driving, driving, driving. And uh, those times I didn't even get out of the car. Uh, I had I had a couple of guys, Pushka uh, and and another guy with me uh, just to help support. So they'd often be at the gas station as I arrive, and you know they'd just put fuel in. I'd even get out, and then you carry on. And I remember the the longest day. It was about. You know, you'd come down a fjord, onto a ferry, cross the fjord, up the other side, over the top, down the other side, another ferry. And you're doing this all day long. Fantastic, fantastic roads. Nobody on them. Just wonderful driving. Um, but it got to about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm pretty tired now. I've been driving for nine or ten hours. And AJ, um, who's become a very good friend, uh, he organises the event. I said, how much further is it, AJ? We're on, we're on another ferry. He said, oh, sorry, this is the last ferry. Off this ferry, it's just a straight run to the hotel. I'm like, oh, good, how far? It goes about five, five and a half hours. I'm joking. <laughs> got, got there at 11 o'clock at night. Oh, got there to find out that there was a, a journalist who wanted a test drive the next morning, and we had to get that out of the way before the event started again at eight o'clock. So I was up at six o'clock to go and give him a test drive. But it was wonderful driving. Uh, got some great images. We had a photographer along with us. Um, just being in the car all day, every day. I got so comfortable and familiar with it, the way Alex must feel in the car. Um, it just 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 become just an extension of me and just accelerating the gear shifts when I'd use the clutch when I wouldn't. It just all just become second nature. It, it became like balancing. Um, it, it became subconscious. It was just a wonderful, wonderful trip. There's loads more, but... Um, I was going to say, I feel like you three could talk about this for hours and hours Well, and we hours, definitely really. could. Absolutely. <laughs> Alex, going back to the Mono Owners Club, so... What made you start it in the first place? And obviously, what have we got to look forward to? Well, uh, 
yeah, the idea came basically from yeah having the car and meeting some of the guys, and I yeah I just thought it would be nice to have a, yeah a small structure. I mean, I met some of the guys on the tracks, and then and then I spoke to to, to the guys at BAC and I said, well, every every cool car company has a club, so so why why do we do we do that? And and the two guys said, yeah, well, don't 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 bother us, just do whatever you want. <laughs> And just take it from there, yeah. And then that's what we did. And it's yeah, it's all, it's all on a, on a very small basis. But we're we're trying to do to do something something more and something bigger. I mean, the community is growing. We've got 125 cars or so out in the world. And then I'm trying to get them somehow. I mean, they're they're all all across, all across the world. So it's 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 not that easy. But but we're working on that. Uh, we're having our end of season party at the second of December at BAC. Uh, they've offered us to 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 host it there. So so we've invited every mono owner. I'm still inviting them. I'm still trying to get more more people from across the world to to join us on that event where we're gonna uh, try to lay out the the vision of the the coming years. We're planning planning some some trips for next year. So we've planned definitely two European trips. We've planned two trips for the UK and. Uh, working on on a solution for or the trip solution for the united states and uh, yeah so big plans and uh, and and big ideas and let's see let's see what we can what we can make happen it must be really cool to see like you know we, we spoke earlier about the community that is mono sort of thing it must be so cool seeing everyone come together from around the world at, at your events yeah definitely definitely and it's uh, like neil said earlier it's it's uh, it's it's a very wide type typology or what no it's a very wide style of people that come together you know they some of them own only two cars some of them own 30 or 40 or 50 cars uh, um, some are more wealthy some are less wealthy it's it's a, it's a it's a cool thing it's not not so much about yeah fitting into a certain box but uh, fitting into the box of owning uh, a very very special car and the joy of driving i think that's the that's the thing that connects everyone um the the joy of driving and, and enjoying the sport and the technique about driving and that that's basically what it's all about and the rest doesn't really matter that much alex thank you so so much for joining us on the bac podcast today i wish you many more happy miles in mono and with the mono owners club And that's a wrap, guys. So another really interesting episode. Uh, thanks to everyone from around the world for joining us, as always. Next time out, we're talking all things technology and looking at what the future of the automotive industry could look like and where Mono will be playing its part. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.